0: Positions for leading us. So um, again, welcome. We're glad you're here. As I mentioned a second ago tonight, we're going to start a new series. Uh, we're going to study Paul's letter um, in the New Testament to the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus. Um, if you have a Bible or a mobile device that has a Bible on it, that'd be a great thing to take out right now. If you don't know where Ephesians is, you can look in the table of contents, but it's right after Galatians right before Philippians in the New Testament. And uh, it's a great letter. I'm really excited about our study of it. We're going to study it through the end of March. Uh, So for the next three months, this is where we're going to camp out and just go straight through this book. And uh, I'm excited to see what God has for us. So let me read for us our passage for tonight. We're going to start right there in chapter 1, verse 1,
1: and go through
0: verse 14. So Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. I'll read that, then we'll pray, then we'll dive in. All right? Okay, this is God's word for you tonight, friends. Here we go. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints, the Christians who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places so that we we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Okay, a lot there. Let's pray and ask God to help us understand this part of his word. Father, we come before you now humbly, humbly, needing to hear from you, needing you to come and give us grace for we are a people who struggle. We're a people who have fears and worries and doubts. We're a people who find it difficult oftentimes to believe that you are for us. And so Father, come now and work as you've promised to do. Send your spirit to work through this portion of your word. Um, use this ancient letter that was written to people in very similar situ- situations as we are in now to encourage them Lord may it encourage us now may you bless our study of this letter and will you be with us particularly tonight father as we look at the first few verses of this text come and do good work we pray it in Jesus name amen okay so Ephesians 1 great passage there's a lot there obviously we're not going to cover all of that um, but it's a wonderful text when I think about it I think about the idea that um, I've always enjoyed sort of the 30,000 foot view of things um, one thing I realized, you know, this is kind of weird, but I didn't realize it was weird until I was older, that I really like, I love maps. That's weird. Like, I would love, like when I would read, like, history books, which in itself, I guess, is weird, um, and kind of nerdy, insert nerdy thought here, right? Um, I would always, when I would read about a place, want to turn back to the map at the beginning and sort of orient myself, situate myself to where I was, because it gave a big picture perspective, Right? of what was happening, of the place we were in, the place I was reading about. And to this day, I still kind of like looking at maps. And I also, you know, say when I'm in an airplane flying into a new city, and you get low enough to where you can see the city, I like to look down. That's the only time I look, look like looking out of the window of an airplane. Um, and uh, I like looking down and seeing sort of the overview of the city. It gives me a big picture view, like a 10,000-foot view, so to speak. Uh, in many ways, Ephesians is is a big picture, 10,000 foot view of the Christian life, of the gospel, of what God is doing, of what God is all about in our lives now, in the life of his church, all over the world, right? And particularly these first few verses that I've just read are, they're a summarizing text. They're a a 10,000 foot view map of what God is all about in your life. In my life, in the life of Christ's church, in the life of this world, what is God up to? So, um, maybe that's a helpful way for us to orient ourselves as we look at the initial part of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Let me tell you a little bit about the letter, okay? Um, Paul wrote this letter, actually, almost for sure, as a circular letter. And what that means is that it wasn't intended just for the Ephesian church, but it was intended for a lot of churches, It was a letter that was meant to be passed around these churches in the ancient world so that they would all read them. Uh, We know that because unlike most of Paul's letter, this letter doesn't contain any personal greetings to people. So if you read like 1 Corinthians or Romans, where he's writing to a particular church in a particular city, right? At the end of the letter, he will say, hey, give a greeting to Tychicus or to Aristophanes or to whoever, right? There's none of that in Ephesians. Uh, which gives evidence to the fact that this is a circular letter. It was intended for broad reading. And it's also a very, uh, it's a great letter, but it's a very general letter. There's no distinctive teachings in Ephesians. In other words, there's nothing that you find in Ephesians that you don't also find anywhere else in the Bible, somewhere else in the Bible. Um, So why is that important? It's, it's, It's cool for us to know that, I think, because it's assuring us that this letter is intended for you. You know, sometimes when you read, in the New Testament, if you're familiar with the New Testament and you read through something like 1 Corinthians, he's writing about very particular issues that that church was facing 2,000 years ago, right? And you can think, now, how in the world is this relevant? It is relevant, but that's a different sermon series. Uh, there's nothing like that in Ephesians. Ephesians is universally relevant and universally valid for the church, okay? It's universally relevant for whatever you're dealing with right now. It's universally relevant for a church of 30 and a church of 30,000. It's universally relevant if you've been a Christian for two months or two decades. It's relevant for you. It's meaningful for you. It's important for you. It gives you a survey. It gives you an overview of what it means to be a Christian, of what God is up to. And so it's a great letter for us to study as we start off as a church. Um, Really, verse 3 of chapter 1 is, as it were, sort of the, the beginning and the key of the whole letter. Paul starts by saying, bless God, praise God. Why? Because he's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Blessed be God. Praise be to God for what he's done in blessing us. And then the rest of the text that I read, verse 4 through verse 14, is Paul sort of working out how God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So verse 3 is sort of the summary maybe even of the whole letter, chapter 1, verse 3. And then beginning in 4, he works through how God has worked to this point in our lives, if we're believers in Jesus, to bring us blessings, okay? And so what I want to do tonight is just look at this text and divide it up into three things, three parts, real simple. We see here blessings from the Father, blessings from the Son, and blessings from the Spirit. It's very Trinitarian, very Christian text. Blessings from God the Father, verses 4 through 6. Blessings from God the Son, verses 7 through 12 or so. Blessings from God the Spirit, verses 13 and 14. So I'm going to walk through this with you quickly. We're not going to take a ton of time here. We could, you know, we could do a whole sermon on each of these verses. This is a chock full text. We're just surveying it and giving an overview here. So first let me show you some of the blessings, the reasons we should bless God. Or reasons how, ways God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Blessings from God the Father. Look there in verse 4. You with me? Here we go. Chapter 1, verse 4, even as he, that's God the Father, chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless in love, he predestined us. So immediately we get into some deep theological waters there. And without getting into all the nuts and bolts of the theology, what Paul's getting at here is he's telling us that this first blessing of the Father, the first blessing that we are to praise God for is the fact that before you were even born, In fact, before the world was even born, before the world was created, God the Father had set his affection on you. Before you ever drew breath, God had chosen in his grace and in his power and in his wisdom to show you his love. And and it's very important for us to get here that God didn't, he didn't choose us, he didn't predestine us to be recipients of his love because he sort of looked into the future and saw Luke and thought, Man, Luke, you're really you're doing pretty good. You're a pretty good, dude. Um, you're worthy of my love, at least a little bit of it. So I'm gonna go ahead and pick you up and show you a little bit. He didn't say, Luke, you know, I'm looking in the future and I see you're better than ninety-nine percent of everyone around you. You're doing a lot better than your neighbor who hasn't mown his lawn in six months and HOA's calling, right? You're doing great, and so I'm going to choose you. But that's not why God has chosen us. It's not why God decided before the foundation of the world to set affection on us, to show us grace. It's not because we deserved it. God has not chosen you because you are you. God chose you because God is God. All right? Um, Paul tells us there that he did this, he showed us this blessing, he decided to show us grace. Verse 5, according to the purpose of his will. In other words, because he simply wanted to do it. And he's God, and he can do what he wants. So one of the blessings that we receive from the Father, that Paul's praising God here, is the blessing that God, before you were ever born, before your parents ever looked into your little baby eyes, before the world even existed, God loved you. God chose to show you his mercy and his affection. Paul goes on, though. Look at verse uh, 5. He predestined us. He chose us, like we've been saying, for a purpose. What does he say there? He predestined us for what? Adoption. Good. For adoption through Jesus Christ. So the first blessing we see here from the Father is that he's chosen us. The second one is that he's adopted us. You guys see that? That means God has brought us, if we're believers in Jesus, into his family. Um, And this is meant to assure you. This is meant to give you and to give me confidence. Listen, listen, there are no foster kids in God's family. Okay? Paul is out to tell us here that you were no less loved by God as his son or daughter than Jesus himself. That's why he says that we are adopted through Jesus, through Jesus Christ. There is as much of a chance of God God booting you out of his family because you haven't measured up or because you're not worthy than there is of God booting Jesus out of his family. So in case you can't do the math there, that's a 0.0% chance that God's going to boot Jesus. You are seen by God to be just as delightful and worthy and loved just as much his son or his daughter as Jesus You're adopted through Jesus. Is that not a blessing? Man, that's great. I was reading this week um, on Facebook. I actually linked this on Facebook, so you can go to my Facebook wall and read this article. One of my best friends from seminary, he and his wife in this denominational publication told the story of their adopting this young Chinese girl, and it's a really awesome story. You should go read it. Uh, It's kind of a tearjerker, but one of the cool things that they were talking about in this story is They had gone through the huge rig and roll of the adoption process and actually had a child selected for them and decided they wanted to do this and flown to China um, to look at this girl, to meet this girl for the first time, who was, you know, probably abandoned in some crowded street in a dumpster by her birth parents because they didn't want her or couldn't take her, they didn't think, and she was rescued. And uh, they went in and uh, Jen, the wife, the mom, is describing in the article the process of sort of peeking in the door of the, of the orphanage and seeing their daughter, their young three-year-old daughter for the first time. And just her eyes lighting up and her heart sort of melting. You know how that feels. Laying eyes on your child for the first time, particularly if it's an adopted child, that you know it's been through amazing pain and difficulty, even to make it to the age of three. Imagine what that would feel like. Now think about that. And realize that when God looks at you, that is exactly how he feels. God is, he is exuberant and delighted in you through Jesus. That's what it means to be adopted. And that's good news. It's a blessing. It's a great thing. Um, you know, we're just coming out of the holidays and maybe for you, this isn't the way you feel, and that's good. But a lot of the times of the holiday season, a lot of us sort of come out of that thinking, my gosh, my life is a wreck. <laughs> you know, you're around your family, and you're like, ugh, oh, this is spiraling out of control <laughs> quickly. Someone slammed the brakes. You're, uh, you're sort of not in your normal element. Your schedule's not the same as it usually is. You're around people that you love, but you don't like. You know, uh, At least oftentimes, that's the case with people. Maybe you feel like your life's spiraling out of control because of the finances in your life not working out. Maybe it's because you just hate your job. And like you wake up on Mondays and you're utterly miserable and depressed at the thought of going to work. Maybe it's because you've just got serious relational trouble in your life. I don't know. But oftentimes all of us feel like our life is spiraling out of control. We don't know what's going on. Listen, this text, the first few verses of Ephesians chapter 1 exist to remind you that God is in control. He's chosen you. He's adopted you. He has a plan for you. And he's bigger than you. He's stronger than you. He's able to see all of the intricacies and things that you haven't figured out yet perfectly. He has blessed you. Isn't that good news? It's reason to bless him. Blessings from God the Father cause us to praise him. Paul moves on. He talks also about blessings from God the Son. Look there in verse 7. At the very end of verse 6, he says, God has blessed us in the beloved. That's a reference to Jesus. And then he talks about Jesus there in verse 7. Everybody see that? In him, in Jesus. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness or the remission of our trespasses, our sins, according to the riches of his grace. So two things there. Two blessings from the son. Okay, we saw the blessings from the father. Now we see the blessings from the son. First one, redemption. That's a big-time Bible word (coughs) we could talk a long time about, but really it just basically means to be bought back, to be brought out of the consequences of our rebellion and our futility and our sin against God. We've been bought back by him. We've been redeemed through the blood of Jesus, and we've also been remitted or forgiven. Our sins that we've incurred that deserve God's displeasure and God's condemnation have been taken away because Jesus took those sins The punishment of those sins for us. Okay, that's that's the gospel. It's the heart of the gospel. is that even though you're a sinner and deserve God's judgment because God is a good king and he's just and he's holy, you don't face his judgment because Jesus faced it for you so that you can be forgiven. That's why it says through his blood. When Jesus' blood was shed, he's bearing the penalty for your sin and for my sin. So that we don't bear the penalty of our sin. We bear Jesus' righteousness. That's the gospel. Okay. If you want to be a Christian, that's what you got to get. Okay. If you want to grow in Christ, that's what you've got to get. So the two blessings of the Son there are redemption and forgiveness, or remission. But I, What I really, I mean, I love that. But I, what I really love is verse 8. Check verse 8 out. So um, we've got redemption, we've got forgiveness. And then Paul says, according to the riches of his grace, which he, I love this word, lavished. Um, That's a beautiful translate. Multiplied. um, Overflowed upon us in all wisdom and insight. In all wisdom and insight. I think what Paul's after there is something that we really need to hear. Okay? Listen. Um, Oftentimes, we don't get how broken and sinful and messed up we are nearly as deeply as we should. (laughs) You know, all these factors come into play that cause us difficulty and pain and heartache in life. Our genetic wiring, our family history, our circumstances that we're facing right now, um, the way that we deal with emotion, the way that we handle conflict, particular choices we've made that were bad choices. All these things come together that cause you to be the person you are right now, that cause you to be, in particular, a sinful person, a person that doesn't do everything well, a person that often messes things up, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. We can't even begin to get to the bottom of how, um, how messy we are. What Paul's getting at here, I think, when he says that grace has been lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, is that God knows you a lot better than you know you. And, and God is dealing with the horrors of your sin and fallenness in much more significant ways than you can even begin to understand. That's how rich his grace is. You know, this morning I was washing the dishes and um, sort of a heavy glass thing fell on a smaller glass and the, gr- the glass broke. It, ch- it didn't chip, you know, a big piece came out of the glass. Oh God. So I pulled the glass out through the trash, pulled out like two pieces, threw it in the trash. The glass was broken. Um, and oftentimes we think that our brokenness consists of just, you know, a cracked piece of glass, or a broken piece of glass with a couple of pieces taken out that, you know, someone who's really skilled could put that back together. But that's not, I think, a proper view of ourselves. A better view of ourselves is to imagine, you know, me holding up that, that thin wine glass and dropping it and seeing it just shatter. You a million pieces everywhere. That's your life. <laughs> your life is shattered. Um, it's a wreck. You've got glass, like in the pantry and some in the backyard and some like stuck in your kid's thigh and you don't even know it. Like glass is everywhere. It's a shattered wreck, right? God's saying to us here that he knows that that's exactly what it's like and he's the one who's coming in grace to piece it together. By his love, by his mercy. Maybe you think from time to time. I do. Maybe you're thinking this right now. Maybe this has been your spiritual temperature lately. If people really knew, if people really knew how messed up I am, they would want no part of me. God really knew, if I was really honest with God about what I think, he would reject me in a heartbeat. If I really opened myself up to this guy or this girl that's saying they want to get to know me, they would not want to ever talk to me again. I am so much worse than I want people to know. If that's the way you're thinking, then Christianity offers you tremendous hope. It offers you tremendous hope because it says that there is an infinite God who knows you much, much better even than you know you. And in his goodness, he has decided in Jesus to come to you and put you back together in ways that you haven't even yet begun to discern. That's what it means when we read that Jesus has redeemed us and forgiven us according to the riches of his grace which have been which have been lavished they've been abundantly poured upon you listen Jesus is able to fix you no matter how messed up and broken you think you are that's the gospel no matter how messed up the closest relationships in your life are and no matter how far down the path you are towards an irredeemable situation. Jesus is able to fix you. No matter how screwed up you feel emotionally and unable to express your feelings, Jesus is at work to redeem and heal you. No matter, no matter how much shame and guilt you feel for past actions or behaviors or attitudes, Jesus' blood can forgive them. You are blessed in the love of Jesus through His death on the cross. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? It's good news. You're blessed from the Father, Paul's saying. Remember, 30,000 foot view. Blessings from the Father. He chose you. He adopted you, right? Blessings from the Son. He redeemed you. He's forgiven you all of your sin. Um, Blessings from the Spirit. Lastly, look down there in verse 13. We've got to skip a few of those verses, even though they're great. Um, Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, that is, when you heard the message that Jesus died for your sin, the gospel, and believed it, At that moment, verse 13, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee or the down payment of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Okay, so third, blessing of the Spirit. Real quick, then we're done. Okay, two blessings of the Spirit there. The first is that the Spirit is a seal. You see that? We're sealed with the Spirit. What does that mean? Um well, it's, it's a term that's familiar probably to some of you. In the ancient world, when a king wanted to write a letter and, and make sure everybody knew that this letter is authentically my word, he would take his signet ring, which had his seal on it, and he would dip it in ink and he would stamp the letter with his ring. And the word that Paul uses here is the exact word that was used in the ancient world to describe that action. Um, so what Paul's saying is that the Holy Spirit is the seal testifying to you that what God says to you is truth. That when God says, I forgive you, you're not hated by me, you're loved by me, the Spirit comes and sort of assures you, guarantees to you that that is true. And guess what? You need that. Because you wake up a lot of morning mornings and you don't believe that God really is for you. And so the answer is not to sort of work up the intellectual muscle or the willpower to sort of believe harder. The answer is to trust that the Holy Spirit is with you. That's how God assures you that the promises he's made, like in Ephesians 1, are true or real or vivid. Make a difference. It's by the Holy Spirit. So God gives you God to help you believe the promises of God. Isn't that cool? God gives you God. He doesn't give you just sort of big spiritual muscles. He gives you God. He gives you himself. He gives you the Spirit to seal these promises like a ring sealing the emblem of the king's authority. But the Spirit also, Paul says, is a guarantee. I like the idea better of a a taste, a foretaste. In other words, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life as a Christian is not just a a confirming piece of evidence that what God says is true. It's actually um, the presence of the Spirit is experiential power of what we will one day know fully. Does that make sense? So, you know, think about the moments in your life as a Christian where you've sort of felt closest to Jesus. Or think about those times when you know you think, you know, I kind of know just viscerally, my gut, in my gut I know that this is good, this is right. That Christian community, you know, having deep friends that are in Christ together and you just love each other, that, that's a taste, right? Or worship, you know, those moments in worship where it's just evident that the Spirit is present and active and you see God in His glory. Or moments when sort of a new idea from the Bible hits you, and you're like, oh, I get it. That is the Holy Spirit. That is the work of the Spirit giving you a foretaste, acting as a, a down payment, a guarantee of what one day your life is going to be full to, filled with. And so, listen, I want us as a church, I want me, <laughs> I want, I want to wake up on Mondays to daily sort of, Not just feel that way, but understand and believe that these things are true. I want to like be able to read Ephesians one verses three through fourteen and think, not think, you know, that's that's really nice. What's for breakfast? But think, golly, the blessings that I've received are insane. It's just unbelievable. These are like astoundingly remarkable. The way that happens is by the Spirit. Okay, the Spirit. Listen, the Spirit is here. The Spirit is with us right now. Right now, at Christ Church, this little brand new church in northeast San Antonio, in Shirts, Texas. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit wants to work these truths deep, deep into your heart, into your mind, into the fiber of your spiritual being. And he's going to do it. He's going to do it. And so that then finally is the last assurance, the last blessing that Paul has yeah. for us. We've been blessed by the Father. We've been blessed by the Son. We've been blessed by the Spirit. And so what does Paul do? I wonder if you notice this. All throughout the text, he says this is all to the praise of his grace. He says it multiple times. He says it in verse 6. He says it in verse uh, 9. No, verse 11. And he says it again. He says it three times, 12, 14, and 6. To the praise of his grace. So can we end by saying, praise you, God, for what you have done. This is unbelievable. I don't deserve this, but you have shown me blessings. Um, I was reading this week, last thing, I was reading this week about um, this guy who's like a CEO of some company, it's a leadership book I'm reading, but he tells this great story about his grand, he had a granddaughter that was born, and she was born like super premature, she was like one pound seven ounces when she was born, and to make things worse, the biological dad bailed, like right when she was born, and he could take his wedding ring, he says, and like put it on this girl all the way up to her shoulder, she was that little, and they gave her like a 5 to 10% chance of surviving for more than three days. So things were looking bleak. And so the first time he and his wife went in to see their granddaughter, you know, she's one pound. She's got IVs in her stomach and IVs in her heel. Just it's a, it's a bad situation. And the nurse comes and looks them in the eye, looks him in the eye, and says, OK, here's your job. You, for now, at least for the next few months, are the surrogate father. And what I want you to do is take your finger the tip of your finger, and to caress, to rub your granddaughter's body. And as you're caressing her, very gently, with the tip of your finger, I want you to talk to her. I want you to tell her how much you love her, how glad you are to meet her, how great it is to have her in your family, etc., etc., etc. And I want you to come in every day and do that. And as I read that, I thought about this text, because listen, that is what God is doing to you when you read the Bible and the Spirit comes and works. You are hearing His voice And you're feeling his touch. He is is caressing you in your weakness and in your frailty and your brokenness and in your pain telling you, I've blessed you. I've chosen you. You're in my family. I love you. I've redeemed you. You're mine. The Spirit's with you. I'm not going to leave. Don't give up. I'm for you. I'm not against you. When you can believe that, when you can believe that, then you begin to see change. I want that kind of change. I want us to experience it together. So let's ask Jesus to help us. Ephesians 1, beautiful stuff. Let's pray. Thanks, Father, or thanks for your grace, which is so evident, Lord. We forget it so easily. We forget that it's there. But it's when we read a part of the Bible like this, it just comes comes at us like a cannonball. It's super abundantly clear that you have shown us amazing mercy from before you even made the world, from way before you made us. Father, you have chosen us in love from the time Jesus died on the cross to secure and make sure that we will be forgiven and to this very moment where we might be struggling, we might be really low spiritually, we might be really high spiritually, we might not even be sure if we understand Christianity or want any part of it. Lord, nevertheless, you are for us. You have shown us that in the work of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And so we praise you. We honor you. We give you our love and affection and our blessing because you first showed us blessing. And we ask, Father, that we would be different people as we reflect on these truths and as we believe them. Spirit, come and change us. Give us a spirit of boldness to show others the love of Jesus, a spirit of deep and vibrant community as we reflect on these truths together, remembering that the gospel does indeed change everything. We ask that you would be pleased by our worship and by our thoughts of you tonight. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's all stand up. How great Thou art.